Our first reading from God's Word tonight comes from Paul's first letter to the Christians at Corinth and talks about the foolishness of Christ at the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Our second reading is our text for this evening. It comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 26th chapter, these words. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, each Wednesday during Lent, we're going to take a look at some of the key players that are involved in the Passion of the Christ. Chosen to call this series uh, People or Faces at the Foot of the Cross. And it should actually be Faces Around the Cross because we're talking about people that are somehow kind of out on the periphery but who play a role. People like Pilate and people like Caiaphas. But tonight we're going to start with Judas. Before we get to the betrayal and his subsequent suicide and why he did what he did, I want to kind of go back to the beginning to talk about, if you will, some of the good things about Judas. Some rather remarkable facts, because most people hear the name Judas and they've already conjured up a very negative attitude. But I want you to remember that Judas was personally chosen by Jesus to be one of the twelve apostles. Judas, like all of the other disciples, left everything behind to follow Jesus. Judas spent three and a half years traveling with Jesus. Judas saw all of the miracles of Jesus in person. Judas would have been there to hear all of the discourses of Jesus, I mean, the great sermons that Jesus preached. The Sermon on the Mount, he would have heard the Beatitudes, and on and on. Judas watched as Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out demons. Judas, along with 71 other people who were sent out two by two, went out with the charge of preaching the gospel. Judas was actually one of the leaders of the apostolic band, and in fact, he held the trusted position of treasurer of the group. In terms of experience, you have to say Judas 
had heard it all, he saw it all, and he experienced it all. However, I want you to push forward in history another 30 years. 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want you to picture at that point Matthew sitting down to write his gospel. When Matthew is writing, he begins to list the names of all of the apostles, and he starts with the famous three, Peter, James, and John. And then he goes on to list the others. But the last name in his list is Judas. And Judas is always last in the list, and it's never just Judas. In Matthew, it is Judas who betrayed him. When Mark writes his gospel, it's the same. He starts with Peter, James, and John, and then lists the other disciples and ends up with Judas, who betrayed him. When Luke wrote his gospel, same way, Judas, who betrayed him. Thirty years after that, you've got John exiled out on that island of Patmos, probably in his 80s or 90s now. And as he writes his gospel, he ends up by saying, Judas, who later betrayed him. You know, it's almost as if those four disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, never got over what happened. The passage of time, whether it was 30 or 60 years, did not dim the enormity of his crime. I mean, what Judas did was just as heinous in their old age as it was when they were young. I mean, here was someone that they had traveled with for almost three and a half years who knew so much, who saw so much, who experienced Jesus up close and personal. I mean, how could a man like that, walking with Jesus, go over to the other side? That's a good question. Why did Judas do what Judas did? I mean, what forces were there that conspired to make him betray Jesus? Now, over the centuries, a lot of great minds have pondered that. They've, they've written all kinds of things. And to be quite honest, the gospel writers give us very few clues. It's likely that the other disciples never figured it out either. They, they don't know why Judas did what he did. And since we also know from God's word that Judas committed suicide within a few hours after his betrayal, we have no statement as to his side of the story. So we're kind of left, you know, to speculate about his motivations. Why did he do what he did? Three theories have kind of popped to the surface over the years. One of them was that he betrayed Jesus for the money. The only problem with that theory is that 30 pieces of silver wasn't all that much money. I mean, if greed was his motivation, I mean, he had very little to show for his trouble. I mean, 30 pieces of silver was the going rate for the price of a slave in those days. Well, another theory was that he betrayed Jesus because he was disillusioned. And this is by far and away the most popular theory. It's based on the fact that many people looked at Jesus as being this new political Messiah who was going to come in and, and kind of be this Jewish Rambo who was going to come in and, and, and would lead the nation in the overthrowing of the yoke of Rome. And it has been rumored by some people that when he saw that this was not going to happen, he just thought, well, maybe I'm going to bail out on him too. 
There's a third theory, and that's that he betrayed Jesus because he was scared. He was scared. He was frightened. I mean, this theory suggests that once he saw the handwriting on the wall, and all that Jesus' followers were probably going to be in trouble, when Jesus was, you know, kind of going downhill from his height of popularity, he decided he was going to save his own skin. And so he went to the high priest. Now, to be quite honest, all of those theories make sense, and all three of them might actually contribute to the answer. But after the discussion is over, we really don't know why Judas did what he did. But this much is sure. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he made the biggest mistake he ever made. See, in one sense, motives really don't matter. I mean, why he did what he did will always probably be a mystery. But the record is perfectly clear about what he did. I mean, open your Bibles and read. He thought up the plan to betray Jesus. He approached the high priests with the idea. He's the one who made the deal. He's the one who took the money. I mean, he's the one who left the Lord's Supper a little bit early to meet the soldiers. He's the one who led the soldiers to Jesus. He's the one who kissed Jesus on the cheek. I mean, in short, he thought it up, he planned the details, and he carried out the plans to the letter. He meant to betray Jesus, and that's exactly what he did. Let's roll the clock back just a few hours. You know, Jesus had just finished the Passover supper. Now, we're going to celebrate the Passover supper down at the end, towards the end of Lent when we get to Monday, Thursday. But this was the last meal that Jesus was going to be eating with his disciples. The mood is probably rather somber and reflective. But suddenly Jesus makes an announcement that must have startled all of the disciples. He said, one of you will betray me. And the look on Jesus' face no doubt proved that he meant every word of it. And we know that slowly that kind of sank in on the disciples because one after the other they began to say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Is it me? Is it me? I mean, who is it? No one was sure who this would be. And then in the text comes a rather cryptic comment. Jesus said, the one to whom I give the sop, he is the one who will betray me. And still they didn't seem to really understand And so Jesus takes that piece of unleavened bread, he dips it in this wine sauce, and he hands it to Judas with these words, what you are about to do, do quickly. Now commentators tell us that in the Passover symbolism, this wine sauce that Jesus would have dipped that bread into represented the fruit of the promised land. When Jesus gave Judas the bread... He was not merely identifying him as the betrayer. He was making one last appeal to Judas to change his mind. It is Jesus' final offer of grace to Judas. But we know that Judas took that chunk of bread and he immediately left the room to make his arrangements. John tells us that as soon as he took the bread, Satan entered into him. Powerful statement. Satan entered into him. And then he adds this little phrase, and it was night. See, Judas left the light of the world 
and vanished out into the night, his steps guided by the prince of darkness. Now we know shortly thereafter, Jesus leaves with his disciples. They make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're singing hymns as they're walking along the way. And the gospel writers then tell the story of that night. Soldiers came. Judas kissed Jesus. They arrested him, took him away. But John added one little detail. He wrote, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Now, there's a world of meaning in that little itty-bitty phrase. His betrayal was not very visible, it was very public, and it was undeniable. When it finally came for that time to betray Jesus, we know what he did. Judas came forward and he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, and he kissed Jesus. Now, I've never done this before. Don't don't worry, I'm not going to come out and kiss anybody. But I, I decided to look up what, see what the Greek word for kiss was. I kind of was curious what kind of kiss this was. I don't know why. But, but the, actually the Greek word there is phileo, which is one of the words that we use for love. It, it is, so it was a kind of a brotherly, affectionate kiss. It was a kiss between men that was generally, they said, rather fervent, and but a sign of great affection. It, it's the warm kiss that a man would give one of his closest, dearest friends. And with such a kiss, Judas betrayed the Son of God. Now, when I thought about that and I read I thought, man, to betray Jesus is bad enough. But betray him with a kiss of affection, man, that's downright nasty. I mean, it's the kiss above everything else that's kind of earned Judas the scorn of Christians throughout the centuries. And I've heard people refer to the Judas kiss. One author said, it is the foul deed that clings to his name like a dirty garment. Now when you get right down to it, Judas should have been a better man or a worse man. I mean, if Judas had been a better man, he would not have done such an evil thing. And if he had been a worse man, he probably would not have felt any remorse whatsoever for what he did. But as it was, he was bad enough to do the deed and good enough to be unable to bear the guilt of it all. Now, we would be quite mistaken if we categorized Judas alongside Adolf Hitler, as some people have suggested. Because if we say that Judas is like Hitler, then we would miss the entire point of this Bible story. The reason I say that is because what happened to Judas could happen to you. It could happen to me. What Judas did, you could do. I could do it. If we think otherwise, then we have missed the entire point of this story. I mean, Judas is a lot like us, and we are a lot like him. In fact, the more religious you are, I would suggest, the more like Judas you really are. After all, you can't get much more religious than being an apostle. I mean, you're right there into the top 12. I mean, Judas was as in as anyone could ever be. And yet, what did he do? He betrayed Jesus. Now, is Judas alive today? Well, the answer is no. But I suggest to you that his spirit lives in all those who still play religious games. 
It lives in the lives of those people who merely come and show up in church for what they get out of it. It lives in all of those who are pre- pretending that a commitment to Jesus that isn't really real in their hearts. The spirit of Judas lives in all those who just kind of go through the Christian motions without any emotions. It lives in people who go to church, give their money, follow the rules, but really down in the bottom of their hearts don't really love Jesus. Now here's the amazing part. I want you to think about this. Do you know who is most likely to be a Judas in this church? Me. Me. I think as pastor, I stand in the closest analogy to the place where Judas stood. Now, some of you might be saying, oh, come on, pastor, surely not you. But guess what? That's what they said about Judas. Oh, no, not Judas. Now, remember, the shock of Judas's betrayal was what he, was the fact that he looked so good on the outside. That's why I say, if I, as your pastor, can tell you this story without searching my own heart, then I, too, have missed the point of this story. And one ironic part of this story is that Judas didn't get much for his money. Thirty pieces of silver, I said, was the price of a slave. To put it another way, Judas went to hell, and the cost of his ticket was only thirty pieces of silver. What would it take for you to sell out Jesus? Would you betray him for money? Would you betray him for a better job? Would you betray him for a wild weekend of sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Would you betray him to keep the job that you have? Would you betray him in order just to save your own skin? Would you betray him because he just doesn't live up to your expectations as a savior? Would you betray him because you thought he let you down? And would you betray him if you thought that you could win the favor of important people? I don't know about you, friends, but I think Judas does us a favor in this story because it causes us to rethink our basic commitments to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I said, do you count yourself as a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? I mean, you call yourself that. We generally call ourselves that. But are you a true follower or are you just going through the motions? Are you a pretender or are you a contender? Are you a true believer? Have you really turned away from your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior? You know, Lent is about confession and repentance. And I know a lot of people who confess continually, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We are the sorriest country in the world. I meet so many people, you know, you bump into, I'm sorry. I hate that. I'm sorry. We're just so sorry. But we don't change. I'm sorry I did it, Jesus. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And I keep doing it again. Kind of like the dog returning to its own vomit. That's what the Bible says. 
But see, what does repentance say? Repentance says I change my mind and I change my direction. I go another direction. And as long as all I'm doing is saying I'm sorry and I don't change. Oh, wow. Have you turned from your sins and trusted Jesus? Are you a fair weather friend? You know, these are searching questions. I don't know, maybe they make you uncomfortable hearing them. Makes me uncomfortable thinking about it myself. I mean, these are questions that are a whole lot easier to ask than they are to answer. And I ask you not to take these questions lightly. I mean, the, the one main lesson from Judas's life is lost unless we learn to ask ourselves those probing questions. After all, if one can be an apostle and still somehow be lost, what about you? What about me? Perhaps we may conclude the matter this way. One apostle was lost that none should presume. Eleven were saved that none should despair. See, in the end, most of us who call ourselves Christians will search our hearts and conclude that yes, even though we fail him in many, many ways and we do it over and over again, we still love Jesus. We love Jesus with all of our hearts and we claim him as our Savior and we beg his forgiveness and through the power of the Spirit we seek to repent. And that's the way it should be. See, the story of Judas is in the Bible for many reasons, not the least of which is that before we take anything for granted, maybe we should learn to ask the same question the other apostles asked. Lord, is it me? The little phrase I found, it says, Still as of old, man by himself is priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard story. Hard questions. We hate to think that we would turn our back on Jesus. But like your word says, you know, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. May we look at a story like this and, and not point fingers and say, oh man, I thank you, I'm not like Judas. Because Lord, in the midst of all of us, in our heart of hearts, there's a little bit of Judas that's willing to sell out for some pretty simple things. Instead, Lord, by the power of the Spirit, may we who call ourselves Christ followers search our hearts and be willing to admit that we do sin in so many ways. But yet we love you, Jesus. We want you to be our Savior. We want you to be our Lord. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you. Not that uh, uh, anything good that we can do is going to bring about our salvation. But it's a wonderful reflection of what it is that you've already done for us through your son's suffering and death. Lord, may we be people who take a stand, who take a stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen.